Hi, this is Amy and Palazzari, host of Tall Poppy Writers Presents, I Know How This Book Ends. Today, I am so excited to be speaking with Heather Webb. Heather is the USA Today bestselling author of seven historical novels. She's also a fellow Tall Poppy writer. Her novels include Rodan's Lover, Last Christmas in Paris, Meet Me in Monaco, and her newest books, Three Words for Goodbye, which she wrote along with Hazel Gaynor, and The Next Ship Home, her newest solo novel project, which we're going to talk about. We're also going to talk about Heather's journey from high school teacher to published author. Heather, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk about this book, The Next Ship Home. It is such a beautiful book. But before we get to that, let's just back up for a minute and let's talk about your journey from high school teacher to best-selling author. How does that come to be? Explain, explain <laughs> to me how that how that writing journey happened. Was it always a dream of yours to be a writer? You know, it wasn't. Um, ah. <clears throat> it's funny that I didn't realize I was always a writer until I look back in time and go, okay, I carried stacks of books with me everywhere. I was copy editor of my high school paper and ah. my college paper. Look at that. I entered all these essay contests. My parents were always like, you're going to enter another essay contest. It was shocking to them. And when I look back, I think, what high school kid does that? Not very yeah. many. No, um, of course not. How did you even know to do such a thing? You know, they were my English teacher. Um, I took an advanced grammar and composition class and she would always tell us about these contests and there was scholarship money involved. So yeah. I would just yeah. go for it. And I actually won a couple of them. So um, yes. When I look back, it's funny. I, I always was a writer. And then, um, I ended up going into teaching. I was a high school French teacher and I loved it. And I love high school kids. Uh, but when I was pregnant with my second, um, my son, I decided to resign, um, and be home with the kids. It was very expensive to put two children in daycare yeah, uh, on yeah. a teacher's salary. Yeah, <laughs> so it, almost impossible. And I wanted to be home with them anyway. So I started actually writing then. Um, and it, it came about cause I, I actually had a dream about Josephine Bonaparte, who was uh, my very first book. My debut was about Josephine Bonaparte and Napoleon. And I just had, kept having dreams about her and I didn't know much about her. And I went and looked up a, a biography about her at the library. Cause she was literally plaguing my dreams. Um, so where do you think that was coming from? Where, where, where was, if you didn't know too much about her, where was it coming from that she was in your dreams? I, I don't know. I, wow. I think, I think she was speaking to me. I really, really do. Oh, interesting. Cause you know, I, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but I know, I didn't know that about you. My debut novel also came from a dream. Huh. Well, it oh, seems to me like that's somewhat common for writers, you know, to dream stuff and yeah, to write about dreams. Yeah. But this is a real life person who yeah. I really, it's not like she was really on my radar. I mean, as a French teacher, obviously, I knew a fair amount about the French Revolution. And right, right. I, you know, I knew sort of of her, but it doesn't mean you know everyone, right. you know, extremely well, um, especially not as a history teacher. So, um, so yeah, it was really, really odd. Um, like, okay, two weeks in a row of me dreaming about this person, I'm going to go wow. get a biography. And I told my husband after halfway, you know, getting halfway through that book, I'm going to write a book. And he was like, really? <laughs> okay, then, you know, right. and so good luck with that. And it was kind of a, um, it was kind of a, 
a hobby, I suppose you could say, but yeah. I didn't ever really treat it like a hobby. As soon as I started digging into the research and, and playing a bit with outlining, I just, it was pedal to the metal. Yeah. I was full on. So, um, and I found how long it, so. did it take from the time you started that book to the time you actually, it actually found its way to publishing? Oh, uh, see. So my daughter was born in 2007. I think I started it in 2008. So, and it was published in 2013. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, four, four-ish years. Yeah. I had a, my son in there and yeah. Um, yeah. You never have as much time as you do to write your first book, right? So <laughs> that's about the typical timeline. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And no, you know how it is when they're babies and you're just, you know, a baby and a toddler and no family nearby. So it was yeah. exhausting. Um, right. Of course you're writing in the margins of your life and Yes. Make it, make it work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure that's so different now. <laughs> right. I know. I mean, it is. How old but, are your kids now? Uh, 12 going on 13 and 15. Yeah. So. No easier now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some ways they're, they're worse now than they were. <laughs> so you, but you also then came to write several books with bestselling author Hazel Gaynor. Now, how did that collaboration come to be? Well, Hazel and I both have the same literary agent and she introduced us um, because we had debut novels coming out a month apart. And Hazel wasn't really doing social media much and I already had been pretty active with it. And I think my agent wanted me to show her some things. Right. Um, and... Uh, yeah, we just hit it off. You know, I, I put together an anthology called Fall of Poppies that's centered around the very first um, Armistice Day, World War One. Right. And there's eight other authors that worked on it. Hazel is one of them. So when she came over to the States for our launch event, um, we hit it off immediately and just decided, let's write something else together. And, you know, I'm kind of up for anything. I'm, I'm a flexible adventurous spirit, I think. So I was like, all right, let's go for it. And we had a ball. And now here we are. We just, we haven't signed the contract yet, but we just worked out book four. So. Oh my gosh. And what, what's different about writing with Hazel than, for example, writing, um, The Next Ship Home, which is a solo book. Oh, it's totally different. Um, it's, it's much faster when you work with someone else for sure. Oh, that's interesting. And when you get stumped, I mean, that may not be true for all partnerships, but because we both have a really similar work ethic um, and we, we communicate a lot, you know, which you have to do for sure. Um, It it does. It goes, it goes quite a bit faster. And, And like I was saying, when you're, when you're stumped, you get on the phone and you hash out a plot point and it, it comes much faster when you're working with somebody much easier in some ways. Yeah. Well, that speaks to the synergy between the two of you, because I'm sure that not everybody would say that, but that's probably together. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've had to learn how to listen to each other yeah. if something doesn't feel right mm-hmm. and sort of talk through it. And, um, and I trust her completely. I mean, she's a wonderful writer and she trusts me. I mean, I, I know we've both learned a lot from each other. So um, so yeah, it's, it's quite different. The other thing is that Hazel's more of a fly by the seat of her pants kind of writer, you know, she'll right. do a little bit of upfront plotting and, and research, but she sort of writes through the first draft to figure out what the story is. And I'm much more of a plotter. 
um, I like to kind of have an idea of where I'm headed before I, before I get there. And the middle always changes for me, but, but the beginning yeah. and the end, I usually know pretty solidly. And do you guys um, spend some time together outlining the story before you dive in or? Yes. Or, yeah. Okay. Oh yes. Yeah. We write a synopsis together and then, right. and write a pitch. And then we talk about who's going to write which character. Um, and then, you know, what's really interesting is it's the same when you're writing on your own, as you're, you're, you're writing, you come to know the character better. And sometimes her view of a character is a little bit different from mine. And so then we have to Mm, talk about it. Like, Oh, I was seeing him as more of a, you know, Indiana Jones type or whatever it is. And you have to kind of talk through it. Oh, that's really fun. So, well, okay. So that brings us to the next ship home, which is a solo project for you. I love I love the tagline of this book, a novel of Ellis Island. It's so, there's so, there's so much in those just simple words. Um, and you, t- and the book is about two women at Ellis Island, one an immigrant and one um, a worker. And, and really um, about sort of the dark history of Ellis Island and really um, a really interesting kind of look at, at a time, a, a period of time. You do say that this book is based on a true story. Can you tell yes. us a little bit about how that, how you discovered that story and how that came to be? Yeah. So I, I like to say inspired by just because it's not, you know, um, it's much of what I've written there is fiction, but it's all based for sure. And in, in fact, um, so I, you know, I, I knew I wanted to write a book about Ellis Island several years ago, but I didn't feel ready for it. Um, I don't know if you have this sensation as a writer, Amy, but Sometimes you know you're going to write a book about XYZ subject, but there's something that needs to come before it. You're like, I know I need to write this other book first and then I'll get to that one. And for me, I think that's about not being ready for something. Um, Maybe my skill set or, you know, I'm not feeling the burn for it just yet. And, um, you know, I went and saw Hamilton. Yeah. And, you know, there was this huge fervor for Hamilton and, and looking at America's beginnings. And yeah, yeah. I was there in, in New York for that. And just, I went out to Ellis Island and went, I have, it's time. I have oh, to do this book gosh. now. So, um, plus, you know, we were, it was the election cycle and there's just immigration a lot in the news. And I was just really all fired up about it. So, um, so yeah, I started writing it and, um, you know, I got halfway through the first draft, almost to the to the end, actually, now that I think about it, and realized my story had gone off the rails because there was so much happening in New York City in 1902, which is our backdrop, that I decided I need to focus this more. I'm going to go look at articles in the New York Times archives about Ellis Island and see what I find. And there it was. There was the true story that I was going to tell. Um 40 people associated with shipping companies, um, food companies, the inspectors on the island. Um, some of the matrons and nurses were hauled before a grand jury in, um, in 1902 that fall and were indicted for their treatment of the immigrants. And I said, okay, let's look into this. What was going on there? Um, I think Ellis Island is romanticized in so many ways. Yeah, you know? yeah coming to America and seeing the Statue of Liberty and being all emotional and like, you know, America is a haven and it's a place of opportunity and it's all of those things, but it's other things too. 
and um, the more I dug, uh, the more I found. And um, I had to chop off the last third of the book and rewrite it. Um, but it was the right thing to do, I think. And here we are. So that's very interesting because because this is called I Know How This Book Ends, we always talk spoiler-free about how the book ends. And you talked about having to chop off the ending of this book. So tell us a little bit about that, but spoiler-free, how the <laughs> end of this book changed and was reshaped for you and why now, that was. Yeah, so I was talking about the story going off the rails. I think as a historical novelist, the real danger is falling down this rabbit hole of information that's fascinating and you feel like you want to put it all in the book, you know? Um, and, and so the anarchist movement, for example, was, was very big at this time. You had Emma Goldman who was, you know, marching for, um, reproductive rights and wages and, you know, um, all the laborers were marching and, you know, I ended up going off a bit on the anarchist movement. And then I discovered that there was a ferry called the General Slocum that in 1903 sunk because it caught fire out in the bay and it had 1,100 German-American women and children on it headed to a church picnic. Oh, my gosh. And it was the single biggest um, disaster in New York City history until 9-11. Like many more people died during that than the, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Um which I feel like gets more play in yeah, books and yeah, movies yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And so, and then that, that caused this, you know, people left the German Americans left the tenement neighborhood after that huge disaster. Right. right. Um, so I just got sucked into all of that. Mike, you know, one of my characters is German American and this is mm -hmm, how I got, mm -hmm. you know, and I realized this is all fascinating stuff. But it's not, my story is about Ellis Island. And so when I found that article, it made a lot of sense for me to cut some of that stuff out and focus, focus the book a bit. So yeah, historical novelists, man, we're, we're big, <laughs> big nerds and we just love all that information. Will and those be saved for other books? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. I'm not sure I'd go back to the same neighborhood in time, you know, I get, I get excited about the next thing and I'm off and running. So, so you, you write, you'll write at the same time. You'll be writing a, a collaborative book with Hazel at the same time that you're working on a solo project. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. And how do you shift your brain back and forth? That's a really fun project. Yeah. You know, when I first started doing this, I thought it was going to be hard and it, and it can be sometimes if the, the eras are really disparate, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, like when I was working on ribbons of Scarlet with those other historical authors, right. it was French revolution and going from French revolution to 1950s, Grace Kelly, meet me in Monaco was really hard. Right. <laughs> of course. Uh, so, but in general, I really like working on two things at once because, mm. you know, you get stuck in your own yes. project. Yes. Yes. And you just need processing time. And I find that when I turn to something else, it very often unlocks the issue with the other one. Yeah. And it just yeah. keeps me fresh. You know, you're working on the same project for several years. You just, it's not that you get bored, but it, it's, you know how it is. It's laborious. You're ready to kind of get to the next level with it and, and move on to something else. So it's actually well, been great. You've figured out a hack for the solitary writer life too, right? Because you've sort of, <laughs> you know, you've kind of come out of your, your solitariness to work on a collaboration and go back and forth and, 
and and so that's really maybe that really maybe these collaborations really feed your your creativity in other ways too. I absolutely, you know, I'm I'm one of the few extroverts who are <laughs> novelists and <laughs> and I I got to tell you being home alone is great to a, a degree, but Yeah. I really, really miss, like right now with all the COVID stuff, I have yeah. dearly missed writers conferences and retreats same. because I, know, same. I need my people. And, know. Um, you know, I just had some events last week in person, just a very few in the yeah. South. And it was so great to be on the road, meeting with readers and um, really refreshing. Actually, I don't think so. about that a lot. It's true. I think of myself as an extrovert too. And we are sort of an anomaly in the writer world, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, they're always talking about the pain of the introvert. And I'm just like, <laughs> as a writer and being an extrovert, actually, I think it's a lot more challenging because that's you have to find true. ways to connect. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. That is very interesting. So you also, you do have another book out with Hazel right now, three words for goodbye. Can you give us a little, give us a little elevator pitch on that book as well? Sure. Um, came out last, um, summer, I guess, or early fall. Um, three words for goodbye is two sisters who travel to Europe to deliver their grandmother's letters to, um, close up some unfinished business. She's, she's very sick. She's on her deathbed and they are, are going to, to tie up these loose ends and, Along the way, they discover some serious family secrets, of course, and they travel to Paris, Venice, and Vienna, all on very famous modes of transportation, the Queen Mm. Mary, the Orient Express, and then they come home on the Hindenburg. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Which is always dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So they're... There's a there's a little bit of a love current in there. Um, it's inspired by Nellie Bly, who traveled around the world um, in uh, less than 82 days and uh, or less than 80 days, I guess it is. Um, yeah. And so so that was that was a wild book to write during pandemic. You know, we're sitting here at home and we're writing about travel. Right. Um, well, so, and that's the other thing about writing historical fiction, especially during this time. We've talked, I've talked to so many writer friends about timelines and everyone's struggling with how do you set a book in contemporary times? Do you just ignore 2020, 2021? Do you address it? Do you move on? Like, what do you do? But you don't necessarily have that problem, right? When you work in historical timelines. So would you, would you ever write a book that wasn't historical fiction? Have you ever had a yearning to write outside of that genre? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, for a while, I thought I was going to write young adult because having been a high school teacher, I've got that voice in my head. Yeah, of course. And I love teen books. And, um, you know, they can be quite, quite deep and beautifully written, too. Um, And so I thought that would be fun. But every time I sit down to write something contemporary, I I find it kind of boring. I'm like, (laughs) you know, there's just where's all the world building and the good info and the, you know, and and then I end up going right back to his his fic. Um but I have had an idea for uh perhaps a, a, a light fantasy, maybe paranormal book that I've been thinking about. Um, I just have to figure out would I go into the young adult category with it or would I make it an adult book? Um, And so you have to figure out if it's the right, the right book and the right time, just as you had to figure it out for the next ship home. Right. And it would still have a lot of world building, which is a part that I love so much. I love to immerse the reader in a different place than where they are. 
Well, you do that so well, and you did that so well in The Next Ship Home. I love this book. Tell everyone um, where to find out more, keep in touch with you, and find out more about any events surrounding this book. Um, so uh, the book's for sale everywhere, including some of our favorite um grocery store you know like Costco and Walmart and stuff so that's Love exciting that. yeah and um I have a newsletter that goes out just once a month I always give away historical novels and share writer links and um I have a follow the research trail so you can look at little clips and stuff that are related to the books that's fun and you can just sign up right on my website at heatherweb.net awesome that's awesome Thank you, Heather. Thank you so much for talking thank with you for me having about me. this book and thank you for being here. Thank you all. If you love this episode, don't forget to review and rate it. Don't forget that you can follow us on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you listen to your podcast. Thanks for being here for season two. Bye.